Okay, and welcome to another episode of Being Human. I'm delighted to say I'm here with Mr. Doug Fleener. He is the author of this book, The Day Makes the Year, Makes a Life, Transform Your Work and Life with One Day Success. He's a former executive with the Bose Corporation, and I absolutely love Bose stuff as I was Doug as I came on. So that's a big, big plus for me. Um, your advisor, especially to customer service leaders. Yeah, you're a coach, you're a speaker, and obviously an author. So, Doug, it's uh, fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Now, I've been doing this podcast a while, and you know, a lot of these 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 books start with an origin story. You know, how did this book come about? And yours blows all of them away. I mean, as, as I was saying, in the first hundred words, yeah, an absolute roller coaster really of uh, of a life story so yeah i would love it if you could share yeah w- where this all started for you that this philosophy around uh you know keeping it in the day yeah so uh so through throughout my life i had some priorities and uh the the biggest priority was uh uh was partying <laughs> staying high and uh drinking a lot and uh and so throughout my 20s, I was living in South Florida. It was in the 80s during the uh, Miami Vice days. And uh, it was, uh, I, I was worked in a, I had a, my father owned a marina, so I was in the boat business. Then I opened up a marine supply store. And uh, so many of my clients, customers uh, of my marine supply store were actually drug runners. And uh, so for the longest time, I kind of had a little business going. I'd order in stuff and I'd give it to them and they'd, I'd trade it for uh, cocaine. And it's hard to keep a business going when that's your cash flow is paid in powder. <laughs> and so anyway, uh, uh, about the mid-1980s, around 87, uh, my father was my partner in this business. And I started, he couldn't figure out why we were busy. And was always had real cash flow issues. And honestly, and it's because it was just, I was drinking it and I was going up my nose. And, and so finally he uh, started to kind of dig in to see what the problem was. And, and I knew the gig was up. And, you know, it was just kind of, you know, I'd been on this run that I was doing the things I knew I shouldn't do. I was morally, spiritually, uh, financially bankrupt in all, th- all three of those phases. But um, I, I knew it was up. So what I decided to do was instead of face, you know, face my father, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 28 years old. So I decided to run away from home. And uh, so I had a big Super Bowl party and uh, I believe it was the Broncos and the Giants playing each other in 1987. And I uh, drank and drugged all night, got up the next and uh, that morning, went to the airport, bought a one way ticket. Because if I'm leaving Florida, where am I going to go? So I got a ticket to Hawaii. And, uh, you know, at least it's even it's nicer in Florida. Anyway, I get on the plane and this was pre 9-11. So it's pretty easy to travel in a blackout. And uh, I don't really remember much other than, and this is uh, the story that opens the book. I was on the plane. I woke up and I'm in this seat and my eyes are still kind of closed. And I'm like, where am I? Which was not unusual of waking up and not knowing where I was. Uh, and then all of a sudden I heard that we'd be landing in uh, uh, 
at an airport in Texas. And uh, all of a sudden, I open my eyes, and I'm in the center seat of an airplane. No idea how I got there. And then it all kind of came back to me. Mm. And so, obviously, this was a huge bottom of my life. Um, but I also had, you know, it ended up being the most important day in my life that, you know, that when you, you can, you, we all had bottoms. I hit a lot of new bottoms along the way. Yeah. And, uh, I don't talk about the book, but I'd got a DWI. I mean, I just, I had all these signposts and I just ran the car right through the signpost. And, um, so I got off the plane and actually just so happens my brother lived in the, in, in, in the same town. In the same city. So I hung out with him for a couple of days and flew back home and met with my father and, and realized that I had to make a change in my life. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I completely relate to that. Having, you know, I, I've also been in recovery and, and had my, my own rock bottom. So, you know, this, this absolutely wasn't quite as glamorous <laughs> as landing in Hawaii, but you know, uh, I never I, made it to Hawaii. I, you didn't make it to Hawaii. You didn't get that far. No, I got to uh, Houston. Okay. Right, right. Dallas, excuse me. It was Dallas. Yeah, and, and then what was your father's reaction? So, uh, well, first of all, what do you say to your father? He, he, yeah, I'm interested in that. that yeah, first, you know, he, he had me stay there a few days. He was too upset to talk to me with me. And, uh, you know, there's just times in life where you're just so, you know, you're, you're just doing all these things you didn't want to do. Uh, uh, but you're doing them anyway. And, you know, and I can, you know, say it was the alcoholism and the addiction, but ultimately I had to own it. Yeah. And, and I had to own it with my father and, you know, he, he was obviously pretty upset and, you know, sometimes we hurt the people who are close, we're closest to. And, um, so we met and, uh, actually this is one of the stories in the book too, is it's actually one of my favorite stories is he, uh, he insisted that I go see this therapist that a friend of his daughter was seeing. And, uh, so we go, I go there and he's a really interesting, he's also a hypnotist and he, uh, I, I told him the story and you know, the drinking and the drugs. And, and, and he says, uh, you know, so I, I, he goes, I have this theory that alcoholics are actually warriors of the past, but there's no wars to fight anymore. So I'd like to hypnotize you and talk to that warrior. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, hell no. Yeah. I'm kind of sorry now I didn't. It could have been really interesting. Uh, but his theory didn't resonate with me. But what he did tell me was to, uh, that I probably need to go to a recovery meeting. Right. And I, I went into recovery and, uh, and I, I was not going all in. I was going to keep smoking pot and I was going to give up the cocaine because I thought that was a real problem. But I was going to only quit drinking for a year. And, uh, but luckily, you know, I met some people and what I could see is how they could live in a way that I never could live. Right. They were happy without drinking. We were happy without drugs. And, and, and my life was just a total disaster. I'd hurt everyone who'd, you know, ever, ever come in contact with. And I had an ex fiance, I had ex this and ex that I quitted everything I did. And, uh, so I went in and, uh, realized that. I heard somebody say that that they had used their lifetime allotment of drinking up. Right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. So at age 28 years old, I've used my lifetime of, of drinking up. 
Yeah. And, uh, and so I just decided I'd just go all in and thank God I did because I don't, you know, I don't know if I'd be alive today and I definitely right. wouldn't have had the business, uh, personal and business success I've had as a result. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how was it in those early days of recovery yet dealing without the drink and cocaine mm. and kind of getting on in life? How was that for you? Uh, it was not fun. <laughs> it was not easy. Uh, but the best part is I went to a couple of meetings and kind of was like really all shook up. I first meeting I went to, I felt like I'm not Catholic, but every time I went to a Catholic funeral, I never knew what to do. And I kind of felt that way at my first meeting. Second meeting, I kind of uh, just kind of broke down and admitted that I had an issue. And then third meeting I went to, I walked in as this big meeting. It was lit up and people were laughing. And I looked over and I saw two of my customers from my marine supply store. And I was right. like, oh, my God. And uh, it was awesome. They walked up to me and they came to either side of me. And one of them turned to me and said, we've been waiting on you. So I was clearly a very public drunk. And um, and then my life got worse. And, uh, and I was thinking, you know, and I just started losing everything. But, you know, one of the things I learned out of this was my life had to kind of get worse before it got better because I had to lose the things I needed to lose. Right. And I had to kind of rebuild my life. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I had to sell the business as a result and uh, sold on pennies on the dollar. I had to take a job at a mall that I didn't want. And, um, but you know, everything ended up working out the way it was supposed to work out. And my life started to get better and better a day at a time. Right. And, and that's the theme for the whole book, right? A day at a time, you know, that's, that's really the core of the, of the philosophy. And so what, what's, when you say it started to get better and better, what started to improve? Well, first and foremost was, you know, one of the things I did was learn how to live a day at a time. And, um, you know, this is not a recovery book, but rather the lessons that I learned in recovery that helped me in business and the business lessons that actually helped me in recovery. And so, you know, the biggest thing I learned was, is uh, that I could just live in the day and try to be a better person each day, live without a drink, live without a drug. Um yeah. So when you um, when you start, um, you know, when, when you've done the things that I had done to my family, again, you know, I mean, I'm very comfortable saying, look, I was a thief. I was a liar. I was a cheat. You know, I just I wasn't a good person. And, uh, you know, that's not hard to do when you're able to kill those feelings with alcohol and drugs. Right. But yeah. when all of a sudden you start to have to live with your past, you have to live with your emotions, you have to live with those feelings and, and those regrets. And that's where kind of this learning to live it a day at a time really started to kick in for me is that, you know, I couldn't change the past, but I could change who I was today. Yeah. If I put together a good day, I'd have a good day and another good day and another good day. And, you know, and as a result, Again, I, you know, I dropped out of college. I was going to school full time, working party full time, partying full time. Something had to give, so of course I quit school. Uh, you know, which was crazy. Um, and so, you know, I had quitted everything I had done, and I, you know, I had a family business. But after that, I, I was hardly employable. 
Right. And I, and I had to start to build it. Now I could look back. And one of the reasons I wrote this book is, you know, these principles of recovery was able for me to end up doing things in my life that I never would have dreamed I could do ever. And, you know, and I, I want to give that kind of hope to everybody that, you know, wherever you're at today, it's, you know, it's today. And, and, and if you have a good day today, that's how you have a better day tomorrow. You put you string them together and anything is possible. Yeah. And, and this simplicity, I mean, you've got a, 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 a chapter in a book is dedicated to practice relentless sim- simplicity. And that's something I've taken away from this book. Uh, just, just to have your, well, you don't talk about goals. You talk about intentions, but just having a, a, a single, you know, intention for the day. I love, you know, just to keep it simple. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about this idea of, of relentless simplicity? Yeah, look, so um, I, I think one of the things that, you know, that, that I learned in recovery in the beginning and was really able to carry into, again, my, the rest of my personal life and in business was to really just keep it simple. You know, the old, you know, keep it, uh, keep it simple, stupid, although I don't like the stupid part. I like to go the kiss, keep it successfully simple. And, uh, you know, I, I, I sometimes heard someone once say that, you know, and they talk about recovery. They'd say that, you know, the, the, the program of recovery wasn't that hard, but the problem is as humans, we're so complicated. Mm. And, and so, you know, what, what I kind of learned out of relentless simplicity is be able to look at everything and say, really, look, you know, of all the things that are going on in my life, all the things that are going on in my day. Yeah, all of my email, you name it. Ultimately, there's just one or two things that really matter the most. And when I can get down to those core principles, those core elements, I can pretty much take anything on. Almost everything else is really just background information and noise and everything else. And uh, it is, uh, you know, and it, it it is something that someone can learn because uh, I wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have known it without it. And um, and, and there was another a book I had read in business years ago about simplicity that also really kind of helped spur my ability to put simplicity into practice in business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, we can, yeah, maybe we could talk about that, but this idea of just ke- keeping it in the day, because when I was in, remember, in recovery, I don't, I don't, I'm not active in the rooms anymore, although I've stayed, you know, away from all of the substances and everything else. But I, uh, I remember that line, like keep it in the day. And, and I, what I'd found with this, having one intention for the day, I tried it maybe a year ago and I, and I just couldn't stick with it. Uh, and I'm trying it again from, from, based on your book. And I think it's just this recollecting that, that 12 step imperative, the recovery and, uh, imperative of just keeping it in the day really helped to solidify the idea. But also I think I probably evolved through my own work just to kind of have the faith that everything's going to be okay, right? Everything's mm. going to be okay, whatever happens. And you can pick one thing and one thing is enough. So this sense of like being enough and having one important thing as being sufficient is, is what's helped me, I think, kind of catch this idea this time around. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, uh, anytime, you know, I coach a lot of people and different leaders and, and, and one of the things that I find is that they often get overwhelmed with the future mm. uh, and a lot of the variables that they feel they can't control. 
And we talk about that in a minute as one of the principal true principles. But uh, you know, it's it's what you do today that makes the future. Every, your future, everything you do today is what creates your future because you can't work in the future. And uh and, and so for a lot of people, they get just so overwhelmed and so wrapped up that they just do nothing. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and I think one of the early practices I learned is, you know, that, you know, what am I going to do about it? I I remember I was about maybe, I don't know, 60 days sober. And I was sitting, having coffee with some old guys at a, it was at the lighthouse cafe in Tequesta, Florida. Uh, And uh, I was talking to this guy and I didn't really hardly know him. And and I'm just telling him everything, what's wrong in my life. (laughs) The guy just looks at me and goes, wah, wah, wah. And I was so taken back by it. And he goes, what are you going to do about it? And, 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 and that's where I've kind of learned, you know, I'll, I'll give myself, if I'm frustrated, something's not going the way I want, I'll give myself a minute or two yeah. to think, you know, to fill it. But then I have to transition it to what am I going to do about it? And look, sometimes doing nothing is, is an action, right? But it, it's really about, you know, how do I maximize the day? And, you know, and again, I, you know, every morning I'm really big on journaling. I wake up every morning and I journal on, you know, what do I want to accomplish? But more important is who do I want to be? When I, when I focus on who I want to be, the good, the work follows. Um, And so I try to not be too self-centered and, you know, what can I do for others in a day? I like that. Who do I want to be? Um, And I also like this technique of yours of like, not writing down the goal for the day. Well, first of all, I just, again, reiterate, I love this idea of just one goal, keep it simple, but also have that be an intention, right? And can you talk a bit about the distinction between goal and intention? Yeah, so I think, you know, so uh, I, t- I talk about intentional actions create intentional results, right? So sometimes if the goal, I think, can get in our way of... Um, uh, so, so when I talk about intentional actions, create intentional results is I want to prioritize what's really most important. And, uh, you know, so often if I, if I go into a business and, and I, I meet with an owner, all the things they're focused on doesn't do jack for the revenue. Right. And, and you know, uh, one of my favorite stories is I had a guy once and I was visiting his, his retail store and he was telling me all this stuff he's doing. And then he told me he wanted to franchise it. And then I pointed out that he was actually losing money every year. So I'm not sure why anyone would want to pay a franchise fee to lose money. You know, you can lose money on your own. You don't need to pay a a franchise. (laughs) And he was so focused on the littlest details. Right. And instead, so, you know, my intentional, the intentional results is, you know, I want to hit a certain revenue amount. And I, and I don't call it a goal because I, you know, I, I like the word intentions because it really aligns with my actions. What's my intentions for the day? Mm. And, and so, and, and then if I know what my intentional results I want, I can align my actions with it. Yeah. And one example you had in a book, which I love, and it's, something, it's not exactly this, but it was instead of make 10 sales calls, you know, it was nurture and, and build my business relationships, right? Something like that. But, but, but this, that's been really, really helpful for me 
because uh, I do have got that journaling practice and I will write goals down. I literally use the word God, but I don't, I don't use the word intention. I don't think in terms of intention and, and me having flipped that has made a big difference for me. Uh, one, because I, I can see that it's now it's more likely to get a conducive result for what I'm out for achieving in the world, but also because it's just easier to take on the goal when, I've, when it has a sort of spiritual meaning, right? And not just like a task I need to kind of grind out. Right. And, and I think that's the thing is, is right. If, if you look, most people write out tasks for the day. Mm. Right. And so, you know, one of the things I always really emphasize to leaders, business owners, executives is, is I'm really big on the word priorities, right? What's our priorities for the day? Right. Uh, and, and, and one of the things I love is, you know, there, I saw a little picture once and it was like, what you think your employees here, and it was a single dot. And then on the other side, it's what they really hear, and there's like a hundred dots, right? right? And so, right, the, the role of great leadership and, and just in being, I think, a successful person is understanding, I'm going to circle one of those dots. I'm going to do the multiple things that can help me achieve that, and then I'll move on to the other dot. Mm. But most of us try to tackle all hundred dots at the same time and really accomplish nothing. Yeah, that 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 I relate to that so much, and that of course builds overwhelm and stress, and then you kind of finish, get to the end of the day, and you're like, "Well, I've done like ten things half-assed," and it just never <laughs> feels so good. It's just like, and and I'm I'm really loving the fact now. I'll get to my journal the next morning. I'm like, "Did I do my one thing yesterday?" Tick. Yes, I did. Right. It, it right. just, I just, is improving my happiness. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's fantastic. Um. Taking responsibility is another principle. Can yeah. you say, yeah, say more about that? Yeah, this to me is probably, you know, it's uh, uh, when you really get down to there's six principles, three are kind of mindsets, three are kind of actions. Um, and so the first two, these mindsets to me are just so important. One is, is living in the day, really creating this one day success, you know, you know, everything I can to be successful for today. But it's really about taking responsibility. And, and, and in the book, I talk about being a, a superpower for a personal and professional success. And, uh, and that definitely came out of recovery because early in my recovery, uh, one of the guys I was working with basically, you know, told me that, you know, whenever there is something wrong, it's within me. And, uh, and, and I remember being so outraged. It's like, okay, you take away my alcohol and drugs. And and gambling and ever all these other addictions, and now you tell me I got to be a doormat, and and that everything's my fault. And what I learned over a period of time is, and and this is kind of to me one of the biggest takeaways out of this book and, and this particular principle is, you can't change what you don't own. You can't change what you don't own. So if I'm a victim of the economy. If somebody's causing this to me, I don't have the power to change it. But when I own it, I do have the power to get through it, change it, to make it better, to make it go away, or what have you. And uh, so to me, this is one of the principles that, you know, and I, I've worked with some people who really got them to change how they see things. You know, one of the examples I, I use a lot is, you know, if someone rear ends me in the car, you know, I'm in the car and someone rear ends me, you know, for some people, it ruins their week, it, their day, their week, their month. Uh, and, 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 and so it just throws them so far off. 
Instead is the facts is somebody hit me. Now I got to do something about it. I'm, I may not be to blame unless I turn hit the brakes because they were tailgating me or something. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, I got to go get the car fixed and, and I got to own it and move past it. And that is owning something that someone else literally did. But I can own it because I get to decide how I'm going to feel about it. Right. Right. And uh, and that is such a well, that's a, such a powerful message. And I think it, it, it talks to. Well, you said it as well, not just success in business, but success in life. I can, if I just assume that every, that I have got a role to play in all circumstances in my life, even if that's not always true, it gives us avenue for acts to, to change something, right? As exactly you say, it gives us opportunities to make a difference where otherwise it, that's not true. Yeah. And yeah, I've, uh, you know, my, my friend Steve, and, and we think about taking responsibility in, in relationships, and that's usually what throws us off, right? Relationships with other humans. Whether it's you know in the home or at the workplace or in groups or what have you, and uh, my friend Steve and he said this, I was like, whoa! Uh, he he one day said to me, you know, he says I'm a hundred percent responsible for fifty percent of every relationship. Yeah, right. And so I have to own my hundred percent of my half of that relationship. But what I can't do is own what that other person's half is i can own what i say and how i say it but i can't own how they hear it yeah 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 i like that and i like the other related idea you know it deciphering is this my side of the street or their side of the street mm. and uh and okay this is my what what are the th and, and always assuming there's something on my side of the street i could as a base yeah. assumptions that i could look at right uh, absolutely. You know, I was talking with a friend the other day and we were talking about uh, he, he made an apology to somebody. Uh, he had messed up at work and, and so he apologized and then he said it didn't go well. And I was like, what, you know, what do you what do you mean it didn't go well? Well, the person, how they reacted and everything. So the, the thing is, is he did an apology with an expectation of an outcome. Right. Right. And all he could do is do the best possible apology he could make. But it's up to the other person for how they decide. But he didn't like how they reacted. And so he labeled it as it didn't go well. And it didn't, right. didn't go well, didn't go bad, didn't go, you know, it just was. Yeah. And, and you've done your part it, and move on. Yeah, you've done your part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And owning that and taking responsibility for that. that makes Yeah, it, and the other thing I'd add is, where this really helped me is, you know, so, you know, and I bankrupted a family business this was back in the 80s. You know, we're a small business and I stole over $100,000 in 1980 money. Right. And so uh, I couldn't afford for this to hold me back forever. And, and, and so what I had to do was just own it. And, and so the way I owned it was, you know, for my father, my father was the most forgiving man and, and his wife. Uh, she was forgiving. And what I did is, is I started just, you know, I could live my life in a way that I could take responsibility and pay them back. And so for years and years, I would just send them money. I would do things for them. And, and you know, and that's the way that I took responsibility. Saying I'm sorry is one thing, but really kind of owning it and moving it forward is, is different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
your fifth principle, improve three things daily. Yeah, what's that about? Yeah, this is uh so uh and, and for if a lot of you may have read uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits, and he talks about uh, improving 1% a day. Uh, I'd actually heard other people say it even before he'd wrote the book. So it's, it's been around a long time. And so a lot of people say, you know, I want to improve 1% a day. I'm not smart enough to figure out what that 1% is. <laughs> I, I have no idea if I do something, is it 1%, is a 10th of percent, a 100th of percent, 5%. I have no idea. And being a simple guy, and I like to do concrete things, is um, I, had a, uh, I had a manager once teach me how to improve something when uh, he was teaching me how to improve the store. This was back in, uh, if you remember, the sharper image days. And uh, he was a very experienced manager. And he took me outside the store and he says, I want you to find three things that need improved. And uh, I was like, oh, looks good to me. Well, he could find 20 things because he had a much more critical eye and trained eye than I had. So he says, what I want you to do is when you come walking up, I want you to look and find three things and I want you to fix them. And then the next day, I want you to fix three things. And maybe you have to get further into the store to fix the three things and get deeper and deeper. And I was able to take that little lesson about how to improve a store and use it to improve my life and my business. And so it's much more concrete than a 1% is I just, at the end of a day, I want to be able to say I improved three things. It could be me as a person. It could be something in my business. It could be on a website. It could be on how we do something with customer service. It could be paying a bill on time. But when you improve three things a day, you make 1,095 improvements in a year. That adds up. Yeah. And and why is it three and not one? Does that not go against the radical simplicity? <laughs> Nobody's asked me that. I like that, Rich. Uh, I, I think it's because for me, first of all, it's because that's what he told me, right? It was like, <laughs> right. improve three things. Uh, okay. And I took it. Uh, why was it not 10 things? Well, 10 would overwhelm it. And, and, and I think one of the things that, uh, what this really helped me, and I think three helped me is, is, to look again a little deeper, a little closer at things. I mean, I, I sent an email out yesterday and, uh, you know, I, I scanned it and, you know, and then I had a typo. And of course, it was in the subject line. And, yeah, and, uh, you know, I didn't let it ruin my day. Oh, well, I'm human. And, uh, but, you know, that's the sort of thing that was, you know, Reminding, I took away from that as a reminder is, look, anything I'm going to put some out, I got to take that extra minute. Reminding myself, take the extra minute and read it out loud. Mm. And that's just one of a simple three things, you know, for the improvements yesterday. Right, right. Got it. Got it. Um, and then you finish off with, with giving to get, giving to get your sixth principle. Yeah. Why is that so important to you? Well, I think, um, you know, when I, uh, when I first went in recovery, I had all these people willing to help me. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what's in it for you? Uh, you're going to charge me later. Um, and, you know, and one of the principles of recovery is that to keep it, you give it away. 
and that when I help someone else, it helps me even more. And uh, so what I and give to kid is, is when I go out of my way to help another person, I'm going to get some kind of return. And I don't necessarily expect a return, but, you know, there's karma. Uh, but you know, there, there's a little saying I love, and this especially for people who manage others, is I love the line is, uh, to teach is to learn twice. And mm-hmm. so every time I teach something, I learn it again. And, and I get to go to another level. And I, and I think part of also giving a get and helping others is, right, is we remain teachable. When, right. you know, when we help <laughs> others. Cool, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then they, you know, we're able to just take so much away from it. So I, uh, you know, part of my trying to be a good person every day and I journal about it and prepare for it is, again, you know, I have kind of simple things. Is, and this one's five, not three. Is every, every day I try to do five good things. And I do this so that my intentions for my day are on others, not on me. And uh, I was joke because I, I get my girlfriend her coffee every morning and she'll sometimes say, well, there's your first one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, but I wanted to get you a cup of coffee, too. Uh, but, but I find that when I get out of myself and I do for others, I just, again, get so much. But I, again, I had to turn it into something very practical. So, excuse me, a reminder pops up in my phone, eight o'clock every morning, do five. Right. And and you managed to set, because I immediately think like, God, could I do, I I might think I'd had a good day if I did one. Five sounds sounds like a lot. Do you you hit five most days? Yeah, because I, because I'm very intentional about it. So, yeah, you know, I, uh, and, and what's funny is, it's like, you know, like if I let you turn in front of me, that counts. Yeah, we're in an intersection. Right. You turn in front. Now, when I'm not very nice to someone, I lose some. So I got to make it up. And I keep score throughout the day. And, okay. and I do this because and there's, there's an element of humans that we're self-centered. And, and, and it probably goes back to, right, to our survival. Mm. Uh, but I have, to, I have to work to not be a self-centered person. And I'm okay saying that. And I yeah. know that when I'm not a self-centered person, I am happier for it. So that's why I make it a very intentional actions every day. Right. And those five things, they, they have to be, do they have to be in secret? Like nobody knows you're doing them? Like uh, the yeah, I don't put idea. a lot of rules. <laughs> I don't put a lot of rules around it, but I do keep score. And uh, yeah, it, it, again, it just gets me. I, I just know that when I do something for others, I feel better about myself. and. I, I'm really on guard to not be self-centered person now, and which yeah. is interesting because, yeah, uh, uh, as a speaker and a coach, you're, you're you're seen as an authority, and so you want to project strength. But you know, like, but when when I do a speaking engagement, I I'm not trying to get all smiles on the like the little sheets that they give. I I, I actually okay that some people don't like me because my job isn't to make you happy. My job is to make you think. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and right, if, I, if I'm self-centered, all I care is that everybody likes me. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. And are you still actively in the rooms? Are you still, do, are you still in, in recovery right now? Yeah, I am. I'm, so I'm, uh, 
I'm coming up on my 37th year in uh wow. In February, I uh the the infamous uh blackout flight was in January, but I still uh I still participated in some use of things. So my uh my sobriety date is February 3rd. I um I go to at least three meetings a, a week. Right. And, uh, and, you know, you know, one of the ways I try to live my life and my sobriety is, is that I, I simplify, of course, is I like to think that at any time I'm moving towards a drink and a drug or away from a drink and a drug. And I do the same for success. At any given moment, my actions are I'm either moving towards success or moving away from success. And so, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I like to go because I, I'm not in fear of drinking again and, and using drugs again. Although I do lecture to my children that, you know, back in my day, I had to go wake up the pot dealer. I can't just go down to the store, you know, here, here in Massachusetts, it's legal. So they can just, you know, I sometimes get resentful because there's like seven dispensaries within like a mile of my house. Uh, but it's not for me. God bless anyone who can, yeah. you know, I know a lot of people can participate or take and it doesn't affect them. Uh, but you know, I, I just, uh, I, I go, so I know that I keep my defense from, uh, going back to being that person I was, and, right. and I'm not going to immediately go back to drinking, but what's going to happen is I'm going to become an ass. I'm, I'm going to get self-centered and, and that's going to, and, I don't know how far, you know, I think I'm a long ways away from a drink. What I don't know is how fast is the decline down. It could be pretty right. fast. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you do anything else as well as working, you know, the recovery program to, to, to manage your, you know, your overall health and well-being? Yeah. I, uh, first of all, I think music is very important to me. And uh, so I, I used a lot of music to, uh, kind of concentrate and, and, and center myself. Um, and, uh, I do quite a bit of reading and, uh, and probably, you know, what, what I get probably most is, is I just, I have a nice network of, of friends who were able to talk and, and we're very just kind of open and honest, you know, in a lot of relationships we put on a front. Right. Yeah. And so, right. And so when someone says, how you doing? You know, I'm great. You know, and instead, you know, you're feeling like crap at that minute. And I need to have friends that I talk to every day that I can say how I'm really feeling. Yeah. And, and yeah. that to me is huge. And, and I think you don't need to be in recovery for that, but you just need to be as vulnerable enough to let people in. Yeah. But I think what's great about the recovery programs is that it's, it's easy to build a network of friends like that inside of that environment, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of people, you know, Zoom has really changed. So, you know, you can pretty much do a meeting any hour of the day. And, um, you know, so I do a combination of in-person and Zoom. Right. And, uh, you know, what I also need to hear is that I need to hear from people who are, are struggling and, and, and remind me, uh, quick story. So when I got sober back in 87, I met a guy by the name of Fred T. And Fred T had like 53 years in. So he went back to the very, very early days of recovery. And uh, 
And I remember saying to him, and I'm, I'm newly sober, I'm like, man, 53 years must be so easy to stay sober. And he goes, no, Doug, I actually have to work harder at it because it's been 53 years. Right. Yeah. 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 It's easy to get complacent, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden you can remember, you know, yeah, that, that airplane ride, I, ride, I woke up in a blackout. It's not like, you know, the stewardesses were sitting next to me and we're having laughs <laughs> like the commercial would be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. It just reminds me of a story of uh, some, I think a couple, a couple who were in the rooms and they'd been in for something like that, like 40, 50 years. And they, they went on a cruise ship and, uh, you know, a cruise liner excursion and uh, there were no, no recovery meetings on this cruise ship. And the story was, I think they were dead within two weeks. Mm. I, I have a friend who actually, he had been told that when he goes on a cruise that there'll always be a recovery meeting. And so he got on the cruise ship and there was, it was like at 3 p.m. every day. And it said, what room? And uh, he went there every day at 3 p.m. And he was the only person. But what I love is he went every day. Right. Yeah. He just yeah. sat there. Right. And, 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 and with his thoughts uh, about, again, you know, what he was doing and who he wanted to be and who he had been. And, yeah. Uh, kept him clean for that, for that trip. Right, right, great. Um, and so what would be your, your message to people listening to this who may be struggling with, with drugs or, or with alcohol or some other addiction? You know, what do you tend to offer people in that situation? Yeah, and, and, and the timing is such, right, because we're, we're right in the thick of the holidays, mm. and uh, sometimes we maybe uh, – drink a little bit more than we want. And then we go into the first of the year. Um, yeah. All I know is, is that if you're thinking maybe you're drinking too much, then take, you know, stop and take a look at it. You can go to a kind of a recovery meeting and find things again on online. Um, there's all kinds of resources out there. It, yeah, there, there's a joke that says, you know, if you if you come to a recovery meeting, don't worry. If you're not an alcoholic, you're not going to catch it from us, um, <laughs> right? But yeah, and, and I think the thing is, is you know, I, I think for a lot of us, we actually used to think right that, you know, the the the, the drunk was the, the the you know the the bum on Skid Row and everything, and and, and they're all they're all around us. And uh, look, you know, and I also do believe that someone can drink heavy. And not be an alcoholic, you right. know. So they're able to keep their life. Uh, they're not powerless over it, and their life doesn't get out of control. But you know, if you're if you think you're struggling a little bit, you know, try thirty days, sixty, ninety days. Go without it. But don't do it alone because I think this is just something. You know, again, the, when I when I wrote this book, is it wasn't I wanted to tell people how to use recovery. What I wanted to sh share people is here are the things I learned in recovery that helped me be much more successful than I ever could have dreamed of. Yeah, and I never could have got there if I didn't get the alcohol and the drugs out of the way. Yeah, no, that makes that makes complete sense. And I, I like what you said, particularly about you know these online surveys that actually really helped me in my beginning of. I did one of these surveys and I came out, you know. As having a problem with alcohol, and it, it was it was great just to 
to have that confirmation. I got confirmation from others after that, but that definitely started on my journey of like breaking the denial. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I need to hear what other, how other people are struggling and how other people are doing well. I, I was on a meeting uh, earlier this week and, and there was a guy from, uh, it was 3 a.m. in Israel and he was, uh, he'd been two days sober. And, you know, he goes, yeah, and if you didn't know, there's a war going on. And, you know, and it's like, oh, man, you know, I didn't have to have a war, right? The only war I had was within my, within between these years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and he was dealing with anxiety and, you know, and just stopping and realizing that, you know, you're not the only person who kind of has some problems. And sometimes other people's problems are even more. But yeah. it never discounts anyone's issues, right? Again, it's just what do we do about it? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, taking those first step and really looking at our pattern and, you know, is it healthy? And then finding an environment like a 12-step group. It's, yeah, amazing. Um, brilliant. Well, thank you, Doug. This has been, this has been just fantastic. Um, and as you say, you know, there's just, there's just a ton of wisdom in these rooms, in this philosophy around recovery that we can apply to day-to-day life, to success in business. And, um, you know, I constantly met people in, in the recovery groups who'd been in, you know, five, 10 years and, and, and really did have very successful lives as a result of, of applying this, this, uh, you know, this approach, this philosophy to life. And you've, you've just condensed it all in a, in a book, which is, which is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll put a link to the book again, the day, the day makes the year makes a life. Uh, where else would you send people who are interested in, you know, perhaps you as a speaker or, or as an advisor, you know, as a coach. Yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, the, so the book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and also on, uh, my website it makes a great Christmas present. Uh, and if you want to learn more about me, it's at, uh, Doug Fleener.com. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I run a blog and I run a weekly newsletter and, uh, you know, everything kind of what we talked about is it's again, it's not in about recovery, but it's really helping people create higher levels of daily performance. And, uh, you know, that's where your future is created day at a time. Yeah. And I should say again, you know, I've been around self-help books for, for decades and, and I was, you know, I was finding real practical value in this. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks once again, Doug. We'll put the links to the book into your website uh, as well into the show notes. But yeah, it's been a great pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.